Today's episode of InVibe Life Conversations podcast is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. It's everything that you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. To add structures in place and schedules and keep students on task and set goals and rewards. And I would say even your sixth and ninth graders, this is going to sound silly, but I taught high school math and I can tell you high school kids love stickers. Stickers? And I mean, stickers. That said, I would put stickers on tests I love and they it. would fight over who would get the stickers. And, and again, that, that was upper level high school math. I'm writing that and down. <laughs> things that you might do with your, your children about uh, chores, but related to, to school, marking off charts, charting progress, uh, setting up schedules. One thing that, that works for me, and so I would recommend it if you're having a hard time getting your students to stay focused, is to have them actually get up, maybe not as early as they get up on a regular morning, but to to not make it such an unstructured day. Again, I think in the spring there was a lot of freedom because it just happened and everyone was just dealing. Welcome to the In Vibe Live podcast with Amy Parker and Cheryl Dunn. By tuning in, you are joining a community that will inspire you to increase balance, wellness, and joy in your life. We'll offer expert information and insightful conversations to help us all on our journey to live more in vibe. For more information and articles, remember to also check out our website at invibelife.com. That's E-N-V-I-B-E-L-I-F-E.com. And we're grateful that you're here. and welcome to the InVibe Life podcast with Amy Parker and Cheryl Dunn. We are joined today by a special guest, Dr. Vera Waring. Um, full disclosure to start out, Vera is my sister, and so this is particularly fun for me to have her on today. But Vera, if you've been following along on our articles, has also written a couple articles for InVibe Life on the website dealing with education. And they, they've actually been a couple of of our most popular articles to date. So we thought it'd be a good idea to bring Vera on the podcast. We want to talk a little bit about changes going on in schools right now, things that schools are dealing with, things that teachers are dealing with, things that parents are dealing with in this era of COVID. And I was going to say online learning, but it's really all sorts of different forms of learning are now having to pop up and take place. And so Vera, thank you for being here with us today. And the first thing we'll do is learn a little bit about your background. I'll let you say that, Vera. Sure. Thanks, Amy. It's fun to be here with you. This is this is very interesting. And, and Cheryl, thank you both for having me on um, today. Uh, this is a, a first for me, so I'm very excited to do it. A uh, little bit about my background. Uh, I spent over 30 years, 33 years in public schools in Texas. Uh, started out as a high school math teacher, spent about uh, 15 years doing that, and then moved into school administration. I did spend three years working on a leadership development uh, project uh, through a large school district and a major university. It was the U.S. Department of Ed um, leadership development grant. Uh, so let's, the articles. Let's go ahead and tell 
University. Oh, University <laughs> of Texas at Austin. There you go. Okay. <laughs> uh, so, somewhere in the background, there's a there's a a, a, a diploma hanging on the wall. Yeah. Uh, uh, did want to say that uh, the the articles that I've written are just accumulation of all of those years of my personal experiences, um, anecdotal experience, and then a lot of classes and learning and reading. So while I did not approach those from a theoretical framework or research background, um, e everything that I do is based in education theory policy and best practice because that's what my background is. And so yeah, and I, I hope the articles have been helpful there. I think they have. And I also want to add, because I think I interrupted you before you said you also have a PhD in education. Yeah. Um, uh, my PhD is actually in education policy and planning mm -hmm. uh, from the University of Texas. And so that's a small program uh, that's been in existence for a long time, uh, mostly prepares uh, researchers and professors, um, really the, the policy people. And, and so that's a part of my background. Yeah. So in other words, she, she knows what she's here talking about and you've worked, um, you know, as a teacher, obviously, and um, as an administrator in schools before. And so I think that's one thing that now, you know, and Cheryl, you may want to chime in here as parents, Cheryl and I, it seems like all any of our friends or all anyone, that's everyone's first question. Have you heard anything from your school, especially that's if your cool. kids are in different schools? It, it's what Cheryl, you and I, when we were together yesterday, this is what we spent most of. Right. I was working out with Cheryl. Most of the that's time good. was spent talking about so what are they going to do? Are they going to open? Are they not going to open? What are they, are they, it's all parents are talking about. But I think one thing that we as parents don't always know is how is this viewed from the school's perspective? I mean, what are the, the parents are frustrated right now because the information is either limited or changing or incomplete. Um, but I just think it might be interesting or helpful for us parents to hear a little bit more about maybe why that's the case or what are the schools going through? And I'll add Vera as before I hand it off to you or let Cheryl jump in here. Um, you know, Vera has spent her career in public education in the state of Texas. Right. And that's one animal, so to speak. Then there are also private schools that some of us have our kids in. And so I'll just share that I have spent time both as a trustee for an independent school, a private school, and as a board chair, um, which the board chair in an independent school is sort of like the person running the business in of the school. And so I also bring that experience and may, you know, have some things to throw in because there are a few different considerations from a school perspective that I think public schools, which are essentially governmental entities have versus private schools, which are essentially private, not-for-profit corporations. And, and that's just the difference between any public and private entity is they are in schools as well. So very, uh, how are school districts feeling right now? Like, so the perspective of administration, which is you're running essentially a, a business in a way you have budgets and you have employees and everything else. I, I think right now everyone um, is frustrated, disoriented, unsure, um, 
it's if you if you think about the main mission of schools, it is about teaching and learning. And most teachers and school administrators feel that the best way they can ensure high levels, adequate levels of teaching and learning is to be one-on-one -on -one with those students in the classrooms every day. When things kind of shut down last spring, what I saw from the teachers um, is that they were very disoriented, very unprepared for what they were facing. Um, they, they jumped in and did their best. Uh, I think it's fair to say from everyone's standpoint and um, I think parents, teachers, administrators, everyone in the spring was kind of this attitude. This is going to be short term. We can do through this. Everyone's going to um, regather, reconnect in the summer, and then we're going to start over again next school year. And um, I, I, I want to go back and add something, if I may, and that is that even though I've been out of the regular school setting, uh, this is going into my fifth school year, the, the part-time job I do now is working with brand new teachers. And so I spend two to three days a week on campuses working with teachers that are new to the profession. In all actually, different school districts, right? All different it's schools. All, yes. Last, last year, I was in 11 different school districts on 27 different campuses with over awesome. 50 teachers. And mm -hmm. so I see and hear from a lot of different people in a lot of different places, large schools, small schools, from pre-K through high school. And mm -hmm. so when, when I make those statements that I make, uh, I'm bringing in the general consensus of what I, what I hear. Uh, I also want to add that I have six granddaughters that are all uh, in, in school in one form or another. And so I do hear from parents and friends and uh, some of the people I've worked with have kids or grandkids in school still. And so uh, the, the parents' perspective is something I, I try to be aware of also. Um, but, but again, the, the teachers, I, I deal with a lot of teachers on a daily basis. And I've been following their questions and their work this summer. and. Um, I, I, I think they are, as most of the teachers, I'm going with teachers here, most of the teachers and campus administrators, at least, are as frustrated as the parents are. They don't know what to expect. I, I can give an example. I have a, a district that I work with, and two weeks ago, the superintendent put out a plan um, for keeping students as safe as possible. Everyone was starting school on campus on August 10th or 13th or whatever the date was, whatever the first day of school was. Last week, there were some changes made at the state level. And so they have now decided that the first four weeks are going to be remote learning before they come back on campus. So the teachers had prepared for one type of learning to begin, and now it isn't beginning that way. And so they're still adjusting their plans also. And, you know, there's a lot of factors that go into that. And this is a time or place to talk about them. But you asked about how the teachers are preparing and feeling. And I think the best advice for parents and teachers and campus administrators and everyone is we don't know. There's no class in how you hold school during a global pandemic. There's no class or research on how you get kids back to school safely. And so in working with 
the top mission of teaching and learning, I, I think teachers who are not choosing to teach in an online program, so teachers that normally teach in a school, are very, very anxious to get their students back on campus. Um, I know many of them were making arrangements to go and, and fix classrooms. Um, I mentioned they were disoriented. I had spoken to some who had gone in early June. Uh, teachers were allowed to go a few at a time and retrieve personal belongings and retrieve belongings of students in their classroom and, and work out ways to get items back to students and parents and themselves. And they talked about it almost like walking into a time warp, a time zone, because they left, uh, some of them had left officially for spring break, and some had been back at school a week, and they left for a weekend, and then suddenly they weren't back again. So the classrooms were just there with dates and lessons and group assignments, and there, there was just no closure to that. And so... That's an interesting point, because that also means in the middle of March or whenever it hit your school district, uh, teachers were teaching all of a sudden without their materials. Right. Wow. And they were, most of them were not allowed to go get them. Some could go onto campuses, again, a few at a time, but most were completely told to stay home. And so started sharing things uh, remotely, sharing things as best they could, digging for online available resources. Um, teachers working in groups through Zoom meetings, very much like they then went to uh, uh, their their own classes, but but trying to find resources. And so I do think most of them uh, are, are prepared differently for the start of the school year, whether they've had a lot of warning or not. I think the remote learning, if it occurs for students, will look very different than it did in the spring. Uh, I think there's a lot more planning and preparation that's gone in in most cases. Uh, and I think teachers and campus administrators are heading in with the idea that um, we have a plan to start the year, but we're going to be better prepared if that plan isn't able to be carried out. I have a question. We're talking about all the prep work that's happening for the teachers to prepare for a possible, which more than likely a Zoom startup. But as parents, you know, we kind of, last spring we all just kind of winged it, right? We, just like the teachers. All of a sudden one day we had to, you know, have homeschool for our kids. Right. Um, but now we do have the opportunity to be better prepared. What advice would you give us as parents that would be really important to help our children? Maybe to, um, I know organization was an issue, which I have a middle schooler. I have one going into sixth grade and one going into ninth grade. So it's their first years at new schools. But um, organization tips, things to help them pay attention better. You know, what kind of tools can we do? Actually, Cheryl, that should have been the last question because that's going to be the next <laughs> article. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, we uh, need just, all the help we can get. So just, uh, there, are some, there are some tips that I've been jotting down, and some of them are similar, adjusted from teachers to um, 
parents, but some of those things we teach the beginning teachers as they're starting the school year to add structures in place and schedules and keep students on task and set goals and rewards. And I would say even your sixth and ninth graders, this is going to sound silly, but I taught high school math and I can tell you high school kids love stickers. Stickers. And I mean, stickers that said, I would put stickers on tests I love and they it. would fight over who would get the stickers. And, and again, that, that was upper level high school math. I'm writing that and, down. <laughs> uh, so it, things that you might do with your, your children about uh, chores, but related to, to school, uh, marking off charts, charting progress, uh, setting up schedules. Um, one thing that, that works for me and so I would recommend it if you're having a hard time getting your students to stay focused is to have them actually get up, maybe not as early as they get up on a regular morning, but to to not make it such an unstructured day. Again, I think in the spring there was a lot of freedom because it just happened and everyone was just dealing. And so on a school day, we're going to get up and ready for school. Uh, for instance, on days I'm going to do yard work or housework or maybe reading or writing or a Zoom meeting, I dress and prepare differently for that. Now, in many of those cases, the casual observer may not be able to tell the difference in the way I'm dressed because it's <laughs> some version of shorts and leggings and a t-shirt or something. But they have different feels and different purposes in my drawer or closet. And so I think having having your children put on school clothes, even if that's athletic shorts and a t-shirt, if it's something that they're putting on to go to school, they might be more focused than if they're in pajamas. Or maybe they read and write better while they're in their pajamas. And so that's how they stay for that part of a lesson, but then put on something different to do math and science. So that they're prepared for that structured linear mm -hmm. class. And, and again, th that's for the students that are struggling to work from home and work remotely. If you had perfect kids that did everything they were supposed to do, keep doing what you're supposed to do, what they were doing. Just keep it up. I'm, I'm not sure any of if us they, have perfect kids. <laughs> if they weren't. If they weren't, then I, I would add I, I would add some classroom teaching techniques. I think that's a good idea, though, and what you just said there, like the very basic thing is be willing to switch it up. Like if something's not working, find something different. Well, and that's advice I give new teachers. You know, I don't use this term. What just popped into my head is don't beat a dead horse. If you're doing something mm -hmm. and it isn't working, then try something different. And it's also amazing what, what your kids will tell you. It, as a teacher, I've often advised other teachers to just sit down with the class and say, okay, this isn't working. We're not getting enough done. What can we do to make sure we're getting this done every day the way they're supposed to? If we work really hard for 30 minutes, what's a good reward? You're, if you're talking about being at home, maybe it's having a 10-minute break. Maybe it's going and driving mm, to pick up ice cream. Maybe it's something. But, but let them help set the reward system or, or, or the positive part of what's going to happen when they meet their goals for the day. They're, they're learning academic goals for the day. 
I hope that helped. I hope that answered your question. That that was not what I had prepared to talk about today, but I no, thought that, about that, it. that was actually really great. So say that you know you've got your goals, you've got everything set, and now that it's a Zoom classroom, as parents, sometimes we get the opportunity to be in the classroom with them. You know, I, I mean, sometimes last spring I would just sit on their bed and watch how things went and see you know, how the class was structured and who got to talk and who didn't get to talk. So say you're observing and you notice that um, maybe the teacher's personality or teaching style is something that as a parent, you don't think works well with your child or you're, there's something you're uneasy with or uncomfortable with or you don't like, or your child starts complaining about the teacher or the situation. Um, what are some tools, tools for parents to help our children cope with things that maybe are not a perfect situation or you know tools we can help our children or even tools that you can give us as parents for us well, to kind of deal with this i think uh, getting specifics from your children it is a good start exactly what is it that you don't like exactly what is it that bothers you why don't you think the teacher likes you why don't you think the teacher um calls on you why do you think the teacher always calls on that person? Whatever it is. Uh, but find out what they're thinking because what they're thinking might not be the same as what you're thinking or seeing. Um, and it might be something that you can actually help as a parent. Uh, it might be you able to say, oh, no, I didn't see that at all. Um, I, I do want to point out, I think things will be different Zoom remote learning wise this year than they were last year. Last year, the teachers had from August until March to get to know the students. They probably had a good idea of which ones liked to answer to the whole class, which ones didn't, um, which ones were more shy, more open, which ones they needed to call on, not call on with certain kinds of answers. From, from something I've seen now, teachers are planning uh, Zoom methods of kind of icebreakers or get to know you sessions. So some of the ways that they get to know students at the beginning of the school year are being adjusted so that they meet your children via Zoom. I, I would say until about a month ago, I think what I heard most campuses and teachers uh, talking about or considering was having the students go back and I don't want to say finish the year, but maybe two years with a prior teacher in the prior room so that there was a time for that closure before starting over again. And, and in the last month or so, things have changed again. And so now it's, we're going to be in a Zoom situation to start with, with we might not be on campus. If we're on campus, it's going to be probably some of the students and not all of the students, um, because I think most districts and campuses are giving parents a choice of, of the way their, their children um, attend school. Um, so the teachers who are going to be leading the remote learning are going to be a lot more um, intentional about how they get to know the students, how they start the school year, how they build in those structures and routines and systems. Um, and that should help everybody um, adjust to starting at home if that's what's occurring. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, 
Oh, sorry, Amy, do you want to go ahead? Go ahead. I was going to say, let, let, I want to go back to that first okay. question, or first conversation, though. Okay. What are some of the issues that school districts or school administrators are having to worry about or consider? Like, I mean, in other words, we're, we're all frustrated that we don't have more concrete information, but I think it's because it's really, really hard for them, too. So what are some of the issues they're dealing with in deciding how to go about reopening? So, so I think from a district and campus standpoint, uh, the biggest issue is um, mandates and decisions being sent by state and local school boards. And, and that has still been changing over the last few weeks. I gave the example earlier about the district that was planning one thing and then their school board and the state changed their mind two weeks later. And so they've, they've altered their plans. Um, the, the number one priority is safety and security. They don't want students to come on campus and somebody gets sick. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody gets sick, you know how, I think, you know how quickly, even in a smaller school, how something like the flu can spread. And mm-hmm. so when you have a contagious disease, uh, the number one question is how can we keep everyone safe? Are teachers scared? uh, Many teachers are. Uh, Many teachers are very, very scared because they know when the students go home at the end of the day, the teacher has no control over where the student is, where they go, and what they might or might not be exposed to. And then uh, bring it back to the school. Uh, Teachers may be not only concerned for themselves, but having children at home may be medically fragile children or parents that they're afraid they might expose someone to without even knowing that they're ill. We know that there's some asymptomatic carrying of the COVID. And so um, I I do want to point out that, that many teachers are facing two big challenges that I'm reading about. One is that if they get sent home for quarantine, um, that that's one thing. If they get ill, they are expected to use their own sick days to cover that illness. And then How if they typically have, how many sick days does a teacher usually have? Well, so, so some state days accumulate. So, so teachers that have been doing this a while might have more days. Some local districts give additional days. So we'll just say my first year teachers this year are going in with five sick days that they're guaranteed. They might have five more. And then in one of the COVID bills, there were 10 days given. So my brand new teachers at a maximum have 26 days. So if they are ill at the end of those 20 days, they can, they can take leave, they can take family leave if a child or parent gets sick, but then they are docked their pay in that time. So they're guaranteed the job but they're not getting paid. So the situation is the district or the school might require them to come and then they get sick and then they, first of all, are sick and whatever happens from illness, but second of all, may, may actually have their salary reduced if they right. go past those paid They're past the number of days, right. Okay, so here's an interesting what if they don't get sick, but someone in their classroom gets sick, and then they're forced, because of exposure, to, to go home for quarantine, right? 
that could be a situation. Now, with those days, you know, they're not really sick, but they're not allowed to be in the classroom. I think if they're sent home for quarantine, many districts are saying that those are district days. It's almost an administrative leave kind okay. of situation. We're sending you home, not administrative leave in a negative way. Okay, good. Um, but administrative leave that we're sending you. Um, I also want to point out that many, if not most of the teachers are facing some of the same challenges as the parents. Mm-hmm. Um, Work. So for instance, maybe there's a teacher who uh, is, is the Zoom teacher for a second grade, uh, all the second grade students that are staying home on the campus. And so they're expected to either go into their classroom and teach from their classroom um, and exposing themselves, or maybe they're allowed to teach from home, but then maybe their own students are at home. So they're trying to work and teach their own kids at the same time, or maybe they're on campus and they've chosen not to have their own children on campus. So then where do their children go for Mm -hmm. remote learning? And so I don't want parents to think that the teachers are not parents. I just want to point out that many, many, many of the teachers are in the same exact situation as the parents. And if you think that a teacher's children always listen to them at home because they're a teacher at home, they're the parents. And so the the parent student dynamic parent-child dynamic is the same as it is with you. And so they're setting up their own structures right now also if their children are at home. It's, right. it's all very, very complicated. I mean, it, there, there's not an easy answer to any of it. Now, and so I'm thinking like, so in that scenario, the teacher who gets sick, right? And whatever happens to that. And if there are financial repercussions, um, so, I mean, where I'm going is like, so a public school, like where your experience, Vera, uh-huh. is a governmental entity. Right. Most governmental entities have sovereign immunity. And so right. they therefore cannot be sued by that teacher or right. more likely than not, the suit will be dismissed. There are some exceptions right. uh-huh. to that, some ways around it. But as a general rule, coming in from the private school perspective, I'll just point out that this is a different sort of consideration because private schools can be sued. They're, they're private entities and can be sued like any corporation. They happen to be a not-for-profit corporation. Also, when you send your child to a private school, you are actually in contract with that school. Like parents and the school countersign a contract. And so if the school is not delivering the product, that the contract promise they could be in breach of contract. <clears throat> well, I, I want to kind of weigh in on that, but also go back to something I didn't finish with uh, Cheryl because I started with a parent student at home. Uh, she mentioned maybe you're in the Zoom classroom and you think there's a problem with the teacher, and she asked what you might do. So, to go along with what you just said, Amy, I, I want. Yeah. I want to remind everyone that, again, I foresee this this era, this period of remote learning, uh, however long it is, to look different than it did teachers having prepared lessons, being more structured, um, creating the educational setting just in a 
remote way, we, we think temporarily. Most people are thinking four to six weeks. And then hopefully, hopefully, go, ho hopefully is right, going back. Maybe uh, other places, yeah. But, but then, uh, Cheryl, going back to your, to, to your question, don't be afraid to email or ask for a phone call with a, a teacher and ask them open-ended questions so as not to put them on the spot. So, so Ms. Parker, I was sitting in your classroom yesterday and I saw that you did this. Can you tell me why you did that? Or why did you choose to do it this way? Or how can I support my child at home when that's going? Or I, I see that my child isn't responding when that's going on. Is there a time that we can come back for tutorials or is there a way I can support my child when they're not responding to that? But, but Thank you. The, the teachers really want to do it right. The teachers are really feeling responsible for what's going on. So I, I said before, we, we kind of did the end of the school year. We can do this. We can get through it. In the public school, most of the teachers felt like they'd covered a large amount of their curriculum by that time. And I say it that way because there's a lot of testing and um, field trips and field days and things like that that occur the last, the, four yeah. to, the last four to six weeks of school. So if you've gotten through the first if you've gotten through, what do we have, 18, if you've gotten through 30 of the weeks of school, you've covered a lot of the actual curriculum. But this year it's from day one. And so that they are all feeling the pressure. And I want to go back to the, the state um, public school end of that. They are all expected to be giving their their state tests at the end of the year with their accountability rankings um, in place. And so they will each be measured. And is funding tied to that? Uh, funding is not directly tied to that. It is directly because when the school moves into improvement required, failing kind of statuses, it gets tied to all kinds of other um, consequences we'll put it that way including funding and, and accreditation i mean it, it goes into everything so it's it's all about the scores and, and the scores reflect on the teachers the, the teachers feel responsible for the student learning even without any kind of accountability system and without any kind of of scores that are tied with it that, that's why teachers are doing it as a principal one question i always ask teachers um, when they were interviewing for a job, and keep in mind, this is at a high school. When did they decide they wanted to teach? Or why do they want to teach? And in most cases, overwhelmingly, the interviewees decided at a very young age they wanted to be teachers. This is something they have planned for, even if they went into another career first. Uh, maybe they wanted to go into business with their parents for a while, or maybe they... Um, had the chance to do some traveling with the job, but then 
when they have a family, they want to stay home and get on a schedule similar to what their kids are on. I, I got a lot of that and, and still get a lot of that in the alternative certification uh, route that I help with. Um, but overwhelmingly, they've wanted to be teachers since they were young children playing school at home. So they, they are about the teaching and learning. They are about taking care of kids. Another stress that I see at teachers right now, and this is primarily the younger kids, but, but high school also. Teachers are used to shaking hands, giving high fives, giving hugs, giving that positive reinforcement. Um, you know, the, the whole teamwork, we're in this together, we can learn this. I know it's hard, but we can do it. And now they're being told, we have to stay apart and we can't touch each other and I have to teach behind a shield and I have to teach wearing a mask and it's all very stressful. I know I keep thinking about those like kindergartners getting dropped off crying and it's usually the teacher who takes them into her arms. I remember Red's teacher used to say I'm their mommies when they're on campus. I'm their mommy when they're on campus. That's how you need to view me. What are their tools now? What do they do? Well, that—that that is a good question. It will be interesting to see what the experienced ones do. Again, I've seen, um, I'm in a, a teacher social media group that I've been following where they are sharing um, primarily within the state of Texas, but there are several teachers from other states who've joined into this, this group. And they're sharing hints and suggestions on ways to get to know each other and and make things at home and and teachers putting up pictures of the students in front of them in the class so they'll they'll feel like they're almost there with them at the time um but but they're they're just they're all struggling with how to begin the year they they all have their back to school routines and and they're working um to adapt those to a remote setting. And I, I, I want to say, let's say in September, everyone go back to campus or a lot of students go back to campus when the remote period is, is over. Um, I, I can see teachers spending several days then kind of with those back to school routines, teaching the procedures and this is how we enter classroom and this is how we wash our hands and this is where we put our papers and this is how we share our learning tools and everyone's learning as we go as I said there's no class there's no research on how to do this everyone's just learning along the way I can't imagine go when they do get to go back and all these changes are implemented and it's the mask or shields or social distancing that it could lead to um, maybe a little trauma or stress for children. I, no I matter what definitely, I, I think, no, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, that was why one of my suggestions in the last article was to talk to your kids and prepare them now. It, it's going to look different. I, I know some teachers um, in a local school that were told to come in and remove everything from the classroom. It, it's not going to be a warm, fuzzy classroom setting um, because they've taken down bulletin boards and charts and pictures and it's anything that can hold germs and anything um, wow. that students are used to sharing and um, 
teachers are being told to disinfect the classroom throughout the day and it's going to be it's going to be very stressful for everybody yeah that might be a little traumatic I know when my kids were in elementary school maybe even in middle school they would bring a picture from home and it would be on the wall and and I, I'm right. sure there was some comfort to look on the wall and see a picture of their, their parents and their dogs you know and I guess that's not gonna happen I hadn't even thought about I, I think well, and when I say that, every community and every school is handling this differently. Um, and I don't want to say that as the negative, because every community's situation and, and caseload of COVID is different. And so they need to be responding differently. Um, but because it is different, that's why I made the recommendation. If you have questions, talk to your school talk to them and find out and and see what's going on um i know uh, a band director who has his band students coming in starting this coming monday so three days from now and so wow. when the students are dropped off they they first have to bring their own water there's going to be no sharing of snacks and water and refilling water bottles and that kind of stuff uh, they'll have to have their temperature checked they'll have to have face coverings on as they arrive of course it's banned once they start playing they can't have, can't do that um but, but it'll be interesting to see how that progresses yeah so our i mean you might not have the answer to this yet and the schools might not have the answer to this, but I know they were contemplating having band and choir a little bit different because there is more transmission in those classes of our like saliva and that kind of stuff. Anything? So again, I think that's going to depend on the area and, and the school and what's been determined um, be, for being safe there. Um, the band I was just talking about is going to be out on the, the field in a whole group setting when they go um, to break into sectionals, break into smaller groups, and they're going to be in small groups and be as far apart from each other as they can. Uh, I think at least three feet apart, which, which will change the sound. It'll make things different. But then they'll go out on the field and have a chance to play on that again in a different way. Yeah, now, and I don't know how the choir will respond to that. I know some of the dance teams have been going back for uh, their camps and back to school prep, um, and they're primarily working outside early in the morning and late in the evening also, so that they can mm -hmm. spread out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it looks like Amy has dropped out some reason you see do you see it's just you and me I, now I, I see that now actually I see a different view than I did earlier so yeah I don't know. I'm not sure what happened but it's just us and it's still recording so um I think this is good you've answered a lot of our questions that we had about trauma oh she lost power she just texted me they've lost power there's a storm oh, no. coming through yeah I've been okay, hearing the yeah. thunder but I think this is great. I'm sure we're going to have a ton more questions once school starts, uh, or even as it gets closer, just how we manage this and how we navigate it. And it's so good to hear from you, to hear the other side of the story, because, you know, Amy and I are parents on this side. And so we hear what the parents are saying. And I think um, that could come with a little, like, bias. Right, because we're on the parent side, but I think it's good for you that you reminded us that these teachers are parents too. 
Well, and, and keep in mind that I think I think the teachers and administrators are trying to put a positive best foot forward out, and that doesn't mean they're not thinking about all the possibilities, that they're not experiencing stress or stress at home at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're trying to keep it positive for the sake of the kids and and bringing the kids in and, and appearing to be as normal as possible in really abnormal times. Um, I think we should probably wrap it up with the storm, but I do want to ask you one question before we get off. Can you still hear me good? I sure can, yes. Okay. So we always talk about bringing balance to your day. So can you give me an example of maybe how you bring balance to your day? And then maybe if you have any suggestions as parents, what we can do for our children to help bring balance to their day. Um, So I I usually start my day by getting up really early in the morning and I have a special chair that I sit in with a cup of coffee and generally just look at some basic headlines, maybe social media, but then sit and read. And I may have three or more different books going at the same time, and I'm a reader, but I I try not to give myself pressure about what I'm going to read. If I want to read just basic fiction love, that's what I read that day. And if I want something nonfiction and more serious, that's what I read. But that's generally how I start my time. Um, At the end of the day, usually the last thing I do in the evening is fix a cup of hot tea and do the the crossword puzzle that comes up online at 9 p.m. every evening. So at nine o'clock or sometime soon after that, I'm going to be doing the crossword puzzle. I love it. That's just a little way to add balance. But the other thing I try to do is make sure I spend time with the people that are important to me. Um, uh, I I mentioned that I have granddaughters and, and I've tried to make sure I see them. I've offered some help to them for the school year. Um, I know that we, um, we, we know that it's really important that we socially distance. I have been in very few stores and very few places since March. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I have spent time with my grandkids. Yeah. Because if you don't spend some time with the people that are important to you, then the time isn't as meaningful either. And so um, I I try to keep it all in perspective and, um, and, and mix enjoyment with some work and productivity every day. I love that. I love that. I think that's great. And I think it's great for people to hear that. Uh, we share a little bit in common there. I like to read a lot and I'll have about three or four different books going. And I love that morning read. And, and when I can get into a book that isn't a work or a health book, like a fiction book in the morning, then I almost feel like I'm, you know, escaping and having a little vacation. Right. No, that, that's exactly right. And, um, and, and then, you know, I try to get some exercise. I do gardening and yard work and go walking and it, Try to try to get something done each day. Awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much. I think this definitely was very informative. I think our readers are going to love it. Our listeners are going to love hearing what you've had to say. 
and Amy made it back. Hey, Amy. I did. So we are in the middle of a massive thunderstorm here. We lost all power. My internet went down, everything. So I'm back on right now over um, cellular service. So hopefully we didn't lose our connection too badly. And the one thing I did want to make sure I added is we made reference to the articles Vera has written and she's going to write more for us. We'll link those in the show notes to this podcast. So if you're interested in going to check that out more, we'll have it all easily accessible for you to find. Definitely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Vera. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the In Vibe Life podcast. For more information and to join our community, be sure and check out our website at www.invibelife.com. We look forward to sharing with you.